it is so um, ironic um, that Diamond Matthews goes to be with the Lord just before Mother's Day. That Helen Jernigan went to be with the Lord um, on Thanksgiving Day. And Albert McKinney in between. Uh, I want you to pray for uh, the Matthews right now uh, as they are grieving the loss of their mom. Uh, I remember so clearly Miss Diamond at a home group meeting one time. Ted and Gail were there and Brooks and Rosemarie and I'm sure some others of you that I will forget so I better stop with those. But she was saying, you know, so much of my life I thought that even though I was in church all my life, that you got to heaven by being good. Oh, what a blessing it is to know that Jesus is the way to heaven, that He died for our sins. I'm not saying it exactly like she said it, but she left no doubt about the fact that her trust and her faith was in Jesus Christ. This past week, um, all of the Grace Community Church staff members attended a conference in, in Raleigh. It was Advanced the Church uh, 2011. And Tim Keller was one of the featured speakers. So you know that was good. If you, You've heard me mention him several times during this Acts study in particular. Uh, and we're doing the study that he put together on the book of Acts in our home groups. And he's just a really down-to-earth guy. He's really funny kind of a guy. And he's just an outstanding speaker, as you would expect. Well, uh, uh, there was another speaker that really ministered to me this week. His name was Darren Patrick, uh, who has a who planted a church years ago in, in St. Louis. Uh, Darren Patrick spoke about the difference between law and gospel, kind of what Miss Diamond was talking about that night. Law, law, it's not law, it's gospel that makes us right with Jesus because of what he's done. The gospel was preached over and over this morning in those songs. I hope you were listening with your heart to those songs. But he also talked about the difference between flesh and, and spirit. And, and, and in the process of the message, he confessed the dark hour of his soul at this present time. He, he said, I'm running on fumes. In two and a half weeks... I'm going on sabbatical for, for three months. And I'm not going to be writing a book. He's written at least one that I know of, maybe two or three. He said, I'm going to be meeting with Jesus and reconnecting with my family and just spending time thinking. He was speaking primarily to people in ministry. But in our day, you know, everything that you say that's recorded, goes everywhere. It's for everybody to hear. And I was really amazed at his transparency. He, he went on to say, it's a sad thing when you meet someone and the first thing you think is, how's this person going to ruin my life? I thought, wow. Even if I thought that, I wouldn't want to put it on record for everybody to hear. But, but I'm not repeating his words to criticize him. I mean, even if I wouldn't go so far as to say I applauded, at least I admired his honesty. And, and, and the reason is that all of us come to that kind of a dark place in our lives where everything just seems to be wrong. And when we hear someone confess it at that level, 
it makes the rest of us not feel so alone. You know, one of the great things about the way the Holy Spirit inspired, I mean, everything about it is great, but, but what, the way the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write him, and one of the things that, that, that just brings such a ring of authenticity and divinity to Scripture is the fact that they didn't cover over the faults and the flaws of the, the men and women in Scripture. I mean, they're just out there. It's, it's, it's especially so in the Old Testament. Man, we see some of the great heroes of the faith. I don't think any of us would look at David's life and say, there's a man after God's own heart because of the things that he did. God called him that. But we would say adultery and murder, you know, God's own heart, somehow they don't connect. But the Lord never sugarcoated that. He played it out there as it was. It's, it's still true in the New Testament, not, not quite as much as, much as, as it was in the Old. But, but, but if you look, there are plenty of places where saints mess up in the New Testament. I'm not just talking about Peter's adventures, you know, when he was following Jesus on the earth. This morning, our text is Acts 22 and 23. Actually, it's a very short text. It's only 12 verses. And in this section, we're going to remember what may well have been one of the worst days of the Apostle Paul's life. There's debate on whether or not Paul used poor judgment and sinned at this time. Some say, absolutely, it was clearly sin. Others say, no, 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 there's another explanation for Paul's behavior as he is before the Sanhedrin after he's been arrested. I, I'm not sure which way I would lean, but if I were forced to say, well, actually, I guess I do lean one way. I, I, I think Paul lost his temper here and just said and did some things that, that weren't wise. Since I've never lost my temper, I have a difficult time identifying and I have little patience for such character flaws. Quit laughing at me. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, see what you think when we read our text in just a few moments. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that our guess is as good as the scholars who have, have studied this for a long time. But look, there's just a great deal of debate on whether Paul messed up here or not. There's no debate, though, on the difficulty that Paul was in on this particularly stressful day. Nor is there any question about the extraordinary encouragement that, that Paul received from Jesus in one of the darkest hours of his life. You'll recall from last week that Paul had been arrested in the temple. The Romans arrested him, but only after they heard that there was a riot that had broken out in the temple. And they got there just in time. The Jews had beaten Paul within an inch of his life. And they got there and arrested him. And, and, and as they were about to take him away, the Roman tribune, the commander of the troops, Paul turned to him and said, hey, would you let me speak? And he said, well, okay, go ahead. And Paul spoke. They were quiet for a good while. But when Jesus, or when Paul said, Jesus told me to go to the Gentiles, they erupted again. And, and for the second time, in just a matter of minutes, the Roman soldiers had to save Paul's life. And he was taken to a Roman prison. And that's where we begin our time today. Our text is 
Acts 22, verse 30 through 23, 11. If you would, please stand as we read the Word. and Hope you have your Bible. Typically, we have it on the screen, which never means don't open to it in your Bible. But I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews... He unbound him and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by him, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul received, <coughs> perceived that one part were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of the of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers for the third time in 24 hours to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring them into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, literally, just courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, what a tough place Paul was in. And I think almost all of us, many of us anyway in this room, have felt that kind of alone. So we pray that as we find the courage and the strength that Paul takes in the night, in the night of his soul, we would find that same strength and courage in our own hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, let's work our way through the events of this difficult time for Paul. And, 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 and as we've already mentioned, I, I think there's going to be some significant encouragement for us. Um, every back has a burden. Every one of us has something that according to our personalities, could be weighing us down. 
Now, maybe your personality is very optimistic and, and, and maybe it's because you, you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and so it's consequently not wearing you, bearing, burdening you down right now. <clears throat> but most likely there's some, something going on your, in your life that could be bringing you down at that point. As we begin in Acts twenty two thirty, we see the Roman tribune seeking for the third time to find out why the Jews were so furious with Paul. You know, it's, 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 this is a religious thing. He didn't get it, but he's responsible for this arrogant. He wants to know what's going on. I mean, the first time he asked the Pharisees, he asked them in the temple, Pharisees and said, what's going on here? And some were shouting one thing, others were shouting another. Then Paul, they started to take him away. Paul spoke to them and they started again. And he said, enough of this. And he said, go over there and whip him. And of course, it was the same kind of beating that Jesus would have taken or that Jesus took. Paul would have taken that kind of beating if he hadn't stopped it by saying, I'm a Roman citizen. It was a cat of nine tails. You know, where the, the tip of the whip is split, split into nine little pieces and pieces of metal are, are put on there. I mean, it could have killed Paul. Because remember, he had already been beaten severely by the Jews before the Romans got there. So he was saying, I'll whip you, that'll t- let me know what's going on. <clears throat> Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen. So he's, he's beside himself. He says, what is it about this guy that creates this kind of a- a- uproar amongst the people? So... He says, all right, let me just take him to the leaders. It's not the whole temple, it's just a Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was the legal and religious council that governed the Jews. It was made up of 70 men from the two major uh, parties, religious parties of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Even though it was a legal and civil body that ruled the Jews in Jerusalem under, of course, the authority of the Romans, nonetheless, all of the issues had some kind of religious connection with it. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were much like our Congress today in the sense of we've got mostly Democrats and Republicans. And in the same way, we would look at our Congress and say, well, you've got liberals and conservatives and moderates. You just had liberals and and conservatives in, in, in this group. Uh, the Sadducees were liberal. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They just didn't believe in the supernatural. Pharisees believed in all of that. They were very conservative in the way that they approached the issues of the day. Sadducees were often closely connected with Rome. And the Sadducees controlled the Levitical priesthood. So the high priest was always a Sadducee. And and, and, and as you can imagine, that gave them uh, some political leverage. It was a rare thing for the Pharisees and Sadducees to agree on anything. That's why it was so amazing that they came together fully when Jesus threatened their power, their authority. And they said, we've got to put an end to this. Well, it looks like they've got another person that they can agree on, Paul. And they're going to, they want him dead in the worst way. Paul was, if nothing else, a bold prophet of God. He never failed to take an opportunity to speak about Jesus. And he begins his his declaration to the council. Okay, the Roman authority is there. I'm sure he's got some of his troops with him. And he sits Paul down and Paul's on trial. And... 
Paul begins with an opening statement. I have lived to this day with a clear conscience before God. And immediately, he slapped on the mouth. Significant that he slapped on the mouth. In other words, shut your mouth. This was done at the direction of the high priest, Ananias, who was even by, considered even by secular historians a, a, a perverse and, and, and crooked, vain politician. Why did Ananias order Paul struck? Well, maybe he thought Paul's claims uh, of a clear conscience to be blasphemy. Or maybe he was just concerned that Paul's teachings would be a threat to the temple. Because Paul was saying, no need for sacrifice anymore. Jesus is the final sacrifice. And that would be, of course, a threat to his livelihood. So he said, strike him. And Paul reacted like most of us would have. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. How dare you strike me apart from the law? You're breaking the law. You claim to be a representative of the law, and you're breaking the law. Where did that come from? From Paul. I mean, not many months before he had written Romans where he had said, don't bless when people curse you. Just don't do that. And yet he did it. Now, when he said, when he called him a whitewashed wall, pretty clever. You know, he's referring to the tombs of the day that were, that were painted white on the outside, but, but they held dead and decaying bodies inside. And so he's basically saying, saying some, something that we would say, God is going to judge you, you stinking hypocrite. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. So was Paul simply asserting his legal rights? Or did his temper get the best of him? I suppose we're going to interpret this based on our own personalities. I think he was lost his temper because that's what I would do in that situation. I mean, how can it get much worse? He was dangerously close to being in contempt of court, but they wanted to kill him anyway. The Romans... We're protecting him, but that didn't mean all that much. Now, we're going to have to assume, we're going to assume that Paul was honest when he said, I'm sorry, I didn't know that it was the high priest who ordered me to be struck for the law, says that one is not to speak against the high priest. How is it even possible that Paul didn't know? I mean, he knew who the high priest was. Could have been there was some confusion in the midst. You know, when he said, I've lived in clear conscience, a lot of people say, oh, hey! started shouting him down, and the priest said, smack him, and they did. Or could be Paul's eyesight, could have been a dimly lit room. We know that Paul had bad eyesight, and so it could have been a number of uh, connections. Or, as some people think, Paul, Paul may have been sarcastic. Oh, I didn't realize it was the high and mighty Ananias who had ordered me to be struck. I am so sorry. Maybe not. Probably not. Either way, Paul likely should have kept his mouth shut when he was slapped. Tough to do, though, isn't it? You ever had one of those days? Have you had one recently? Recently? 
So many times we sin with our mouths. Don't we? When we've been offended. I I truly regret some of the things that I've said through the years. Oh, they felt so good to say at the time. And, And to this day, I believe them to be true and accurate. But they were hurtful words. It was cathartic. Someone had offended me, or at least I perceived that was the case. I defended myself. And I can never take those words back. Never. Wish I hadn't said them. Some things just don't need to be said. And when we're having a really bad day, sin is close at the door. Well, as we've already acknowledged that when they said strike him on the mouth, it, it, it meant be quiet. Paul realized that a defense was useless. And then he made what almost, he pretty much admitted later, was an error in judgment. He divided the, the animosity of the council instead of saying, hey look, instead of letting them focus all on me, let me get them fighting against each other. And, and, and when he did, when he said what he said, he created a raucous division between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <clears throat> what Paul said could be, by the letter, accurate. But it was certainly intended to create this confusion and this division within the council. It was a brilliant <clears throat> legal maneuver. But was it a godly one? Again, Paul seems to indicate later, probably not. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, (coughs) a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Paul didn't say, I'm on trial because of my faith in Jesus and because of preaching Him. But because of my belief in the resurrection of the dead. Now, he may have been referring to Jesus when he said the hope of Most likely he's just talking about the fact that these bodies are going to be resurrected one day and are going to live with God eternally. The Pharisees didn't have a problem with that belief. They they believed that, but the Sadducees didn't. Now, here's a question. Was Paul really a Pharisee? Was he still a Pharisee? Well, technically you could say yes. Because early Christians in Jerusalem were allowed to worship in the temple and in the synagogue. They were still part of the synagogue. They had worked out this this very tenuous uh, agreement with the Jews. And remember, James had said, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he said, you see that there are thousands of these people who follow Jesus, and all of them are zealous for the law. Let me state again that, that I think these guys were perilously close to legalism. To, to, to saying it's Jesus plus the law. Now they didn't say that, but they said we're going to abide by the law even down to the sacrificial <clears throat> system. So it was, it was almost A.D. 90 before the Jews said enough of this. If you claim to follow Jesus, you cannot worship in this temple. Well, the temple was gone by then. But you cannot worship in the synagogue. You can't consider yourself a Jew anymore. So technically, Paul was correct when he said, I am a Pharisee and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. But he certainly was taking advantage of the situation. And then there was Bedlam. Pretty slick move on Paul's part. 
I mean, the conservative Pharisees, hey, he may have heard from an angel. Who are we to get in the way of this man? You know, we, maybe we were mistaken about him. He seems good to us and the, and the Sadducees, <clears throat> led by Ananias, who was in effect the swing vote, said, are you crazy? You're letting your religious beliefs get in the way of national policy. We all know this man is trying to tear down our way of life. He's guilty and he ought to be killed on the spot. And so for the third time in 24 hours, the Roman commander had to rescue Paul. They were about to tear him apart. So the Roman commander took him back to jail. And there he sat. Alone. Well, technically a, a Roman soldier was, was chained to him. But, but for all practical purposes, Paul was alone. Do you ever suppose... He had ever felt as alone as he did on this day. I mean, hey, at least when he was thrown in jail before, in Philippi, Silas was with him. But he's alone. So sit with Paul for just a moment. Put yourself in his place, in his chains. Do you feel the weight of his discouragement. He had almost been killed three different times. And although the Romans were protecting him, he knew that his kinsmen were plotting to kill him. And they were going to find a way. In fact, that will be confirmed in our text next Sunday. In fact, it's the next verse. So the Jews went to plotting. Paul had written to the Romans... I would give anything if my Jewish brothers and sisters would just be saved. If God would allow it, I would spend eternity in hell in their place. This has only been written about a half a year earlier. And now all seemed lost. And even though Paul knew that God would take care of his truth, nonetheless, he must have worried about the advance of the gospel at this point. I mean, could it be that he was an utter failure? He had lost his temper on that day. He had played politics when he should have trusted God. Maybe he should have listened to all those prophets who had told him before he got to Jerusalem, please don't go. Please don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to end badly for you there. But he had sensed that the Holy Spirit had led him. So what? Had he been wrong? Maybe it was only a matter of time before the Jews found a way to kill him. All day and all night he sat there alone and depressed. Another day went by and night fell again on our discouraged apostle and all of a sudden Jesus is standing in the cell with him. It's not a vision. Not a dream. All of a sudden, Jesus is with him. And he said, look at verse 11, Courage! Courage, Paul. For as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also 
in Rome. Now let's sit with Paul again, but with a completely different spirit. He's broken, and now Jesus has just said, you're going to Rome, and you're going to testify of me there. So how many times over the next couple of years, and even beyond, we follow Paul for about two more years, but how many times over those years do you suppose he took courage from these words? Three more trials, plots against his life, a horrible, perilous journey to Rome. And he's remembering Jesus' words. It's going to be all right, Paul. You've got a job to do. I would imagine quite a bit. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that, <clears throat> that Jesus didn't say, I'm going to spare you, Paul, because you've served me so faithfully, and you're busting out of these chains, and, and you deserve it. I want you to be happy. Basically, he said, you're going to make it to Rome because you've got a job to do there. The gospel needs to be proclaimed in Rome just as it has been here in Jerusalem. Now, Paul understood this later, even if, if not at that point. Remember, he wrote to the Philippians during this same imprisonment. As far as we know, there were two imprisonments that Paul had. One is this one that, <clears throat> that ends somewhere years later. In Rome, maybe his accusers didn't come. We're going to see Paul appeal to Caesar, and we'll explain all that in the next few weeks. But, but he was let go and, and still served some more, and then he went back in for a final imprisonment. And that's where we read Second Timothy, where he's just simply awaiting execution. All this imprisonment, he doesn't know. And you remember, he's talking to the Philippians, and he says, I, you know, I'm here in, in Caesar's, Jail, so it's years later when he wrote Philippians. And he says, people here have heard the gospel. People in Caesar's household have heard the gospel. We imagine many of these soldiers had gotten saved and taken the gospel all over the world. These elite soldiers who guarded, guarded Paul. And he said to the Philippians, I'm sort of really con conflicted in my mind. There's a part of me that wants to die in this uh, imprisonment and uh, we're, we're at this trial, I want to be committed to be executed and go with Jesus. That would be far better for me to just end this life. I want to go on with Jesus, not suicidal in any way. It's just he understood at that point that the day ahead is far better. Do you think time in Matthew's day is better today than it was yesterday? Oh my goodness. But, he said it, I, I, I get a sense that the Lord wants me to stay with you and to help you in your walk with Christ. Either way, I win. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He got it later, even if he didn't get it at that point. I, I guess that some of you are not at that point where you feel like to live is Christ, to die is gain. Maybe you're right where... Paul was in the cell on that difficult, desperate night, and you feel as alone and as helpless as he did in Jerusalem. You feel abandoned, misunderstood, unfairly treated, and utterly rejected. If that's the place where you are today, 
take courage. Jesus will never leave you alone. Now, he's probably not going to come to you. Could he? Of course. I'm, I'm not expecting it. But he's probably not going to come to you like he did to Paul that night in the cell. But these words are for us. His words to Paul are words of encouragement to us. He's never going to leave us. And we are going to be alive and we're going to be taken care of as long as he's got something for us to do. As long as his plan for us is to serve him. It's not about us anyway. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. And the more that we lose ourselves in him, and this may seem, oh, those are just words. That's because perhaps you've never lost yourself in Jesus. When we lose ourselves in him, then his promise of serving the world through us becomes a beautifully good thing to us and not just an empty concession when our lives fall away to despair and defeat. The truth that is in the gospel and the advance of the gospel were, were both sources of great encouragement to Paul. And the way this works, the way this word works, they should be great sources of encouragement to us as well. Let's, let's bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord.